All right, guys, welcome to the Books to Business podcast. Today we have the incredible Daniel Pink, best-selling author and um, author of the book Drive. And so today we're going to get to chat with him a little bit about that. Um, and, you know, Dan, great to have you, man. It's, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, um, I was thinking we could start with, um, you have a very unique background, you know, coming through law, you're in politics, um, obviously see things through a very economic lens, you're a speechwriter. Um, how did, you know, for, for all the entrepreneurs out there, how did that translate to the motivations? Where did that, that, that space, that pivot come from? Yeah, um, I think it's, I think my story is similar to the stories of many entrepreneurs in, in that it, it depends on how kind you want to put it. Um, uh, the less kind way to put it is that uh, it's completely half-assed. The kinder way to put it is that it kind of sort of makes sense, but only in retrospect. Mm-hmm. So, so, so let, let me give you. So, I, I, if you if you can indulge me, I, sure. I can I can I think I can sort of give you the narrative in sixty seconds, ninety seconds. Cool. So, so I so so because I, I I think it's I, I, I think. I mean, I think it's an instructive story um, in, in, when you see the punchline, uh, which is this. So, so I grew up in uh, central Ohio, uh, middle-class family, middle of America. I went to college on uh, financial aid. I did well in college. I liked college a lot. I was a good student, always been a good student. Um, I didn't have anything better to do with my life, so I went to law school. That ended up being a mistake. Um, I always thought it was something that I would do. I never really thought about it hard, about whether or not to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ended up doing it, uh, pretty big mistake. It's not the path that I wanted to take, not the career I wanted to have. Uh, I was always interested in politics, though, so I, um, which is a reason I went to law school. And so I got out of law school. I was one of three people in my law school class who graduated unemployed. Uh, I didn't (laughs) practice law. And I instead started working in political campaigns. I did that for uh, a, a little while. And very quickly on that, uh, because I was uh, like an OK writer and a very fast typist, uh, one time somewhere somebody asked me to write a speech and it was OK. Then they asked me to write another one and it was OK. Then they asked me to write another one and it was OK. And before I knew it, through no planning at all, I became a speech writer. Uh, so I did that for a while uh, uh, and uh, ended up doing you know, getting some interesting jobs in that, working for a cabinet official, working then for the U.S. vice president. And um, this thing that I was interested in all this time, politics, uh, once I got into the belly of the beast, I said, you know what? This is not how I want to live my life. Mm-hmm. Now, I might have hit my 90-second threshold, but no, give me 15 going. seconds more. Give me 15 seconds more. So so, so here I am, um, you know, in my, uh, what, what would that be? Like, yeah, like 30, early 30, like 30, early 30s saying, oh, crap, here I am. Like, I went to law school, don't want to be a lawyer, went into politics, don't want to be in politics. What am I going to do? Now, there's another, there's, there's a B storyline going through here, which is this. From the time that I was in high school, um, but through college, through law school, through some of my jobs, I was always, quote, unquote, writing on the side. So in, in college, I was a fairly hardcore social science major. I was a linguistics major, which is a kind of very scientific, very mathematical kind of social science. Uh, and yet I ended up writing short stories on the side and actually winning some awards for short story writing. Uh, when I was in law school, I spent a lot of time like, writing for newspapers just for the hell of it. Um, uh, even when I was working in fairly demanding jobs in politics, I was often writing on the side, writing uh, columns for magazines and things like that. Uh, and because of ethics rules, wasn't even allowed to get paid for a lot of them, but it was still doing it. 
So finally, here we am. So we're taking the B storyline and the A storyline. It's coming together in this glorious way. I'm in my early 30s, and it's um, you know midnight. My wife and I are in our tiny little apartment in Washington, D.C. I have a very demanding job, but at midnight, I'm at my computer writing a, 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 an article that I'm not going to get paid for. Mm-hmm. And it finally occurs to her that, hey, like this, this writing thing, you might actually like this, given that you're doing it for free at midnight in the midst of a demanding <laughs> job. And you have always been doing this thing ever since I've known you, like kind of on the side. Maybe actually when you grow up, you want to be a writer. And I said, hmm, maybe that's the case. So I left. The, so I left my job. My wife kept her job, kept her health insurance. I'm not a like a crazy risk prone person. Like I think, which is like a lot of entrepreneurs. I think there's a mythology that entrepreneurs are these crazy daredevil risk takers. But my my opinion, my view is is that they're actually conscious of risk and they 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 take steps to mitigate that risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we mitigated the risk, and I said, okay, I'm going to go out on my own to see if I can be a writer, and uh, we'll give it a couple of years. If it doesn't work, I'll go back and get a real job. Um, and, uh, that was 20 years ago. So, uh, now what's the moral of the, this long and winding story? I have no idea, uh, but I think that the, I think that a moral of the story, no, I actually think there is, might be a moral of the story mm-hmm. now. Cause cause at the time, at the time, it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's no, this is, this is the point that I'm, I'm trying to, I'm in a very tortured way. I'm trying to make right. It wasn't like I was making these very well-considered strategic pivoting decisions and did it not at all. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to get through the day, do good work, do stuff I like doing, earn a li- You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. wasn't like this kind of this, this very like, oh, look, at there's my strategy here and here's the next <laughs> part of my – no way. Right. It wasn't like that at all. Uh, it was basically – it was more kind of frobbing around trying to figure things out. And one of the things that I figured out was, and it's a lesson that I try to give to younger people as well. When you're trying to figure out what to, what like you should be doing in your life, um, uh, one of the, you know, everyone says, oh, what's your passion? What's your passion? What's your passion? I, I hate that question. Mm. I think it's a terrible question. Um, I, I think it's a terrible question. I don't want people asking me that question uh, because I, I, I feel a lot of pressure with that question because you have to give mm. kind of a really, really good answer. It's like, oh, I my my passion is saving seals or, you know, you can't like, I don't know what my passion is. I mean, I, I like to drink bourbon and watch baseball and read the newspaper. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, and so, um, and I, I think it's the wrong question. Uh, I think a question that we should ask ourselves is what do you do? What do you do when no one's watching, when you can do whatever you feel like, mm-hmm. what do you do? And it turned out for me that, I wrote, and that's what I did. Uh, if you ask me today, what is your pa- is writing your passion? I would say no way, I, I, no way. I mean, there's some days I like it, but most days it's it's terrible. It's really really hard. It's really really hard. It's really a hard thing to do. Like running a business is a really hard thing to do. And um and so it's but but hey, for better or worse, it's what I do. And um and it's 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 in some sense who I am. And and I think that that is the discovery that you're trying to make. And then layer on the thing, okay, that's who you are. Like I could, I probably couldn't make a living drinking bourbon. I've thought about mm-hmm. it, but it's, it's uh, harder to do. And so, uh, and so, but it's like, what do you do? And then put a layer on it. It's like, you know, can you make a living? Can you make a living doing it? And I think in many cases that you, many cases you can't, this is why, and again, I'll stop talking in a moment. Um, probably. Uh, this is why like you have your entrepreneurs, the people who are listening to your, your people listening to your show mm-hmm. who are entrepreneurs 
probably some of them are on their like third or fourth or fifth business. All right. And, and maybe their first two are like, they're golden. They're sitting pretty. They don't have to do another lick of work in their life. And yet they're going through the torture of starting a business, starting a business. Why? It's what they do. Right. And, um, and so I think that's the, le- that's the lesson from my tortured, um, travails in my, <laughs> from age zero to age 30 something. And I'm not allowed. I'm not in my early fifties. <laughs> Safe to say that writing gave you flow. It's a great question. Yeah, uh, it's, a great, it's a great question. Uh, not always. Uh, flow is flow. It's a great, it's a, it's a wonderful question. Um, you know, flow for your listeners is that, is that moment when you're so engaged in something that you lose a sense of self, lose a sense of time. There are times, Terrence, definitely when I, when I do experience flow in writing, mm-hmm. um, and that, and in some ways, those moments, which are, which are not super, super common, those moments, which are not super, super common, uh, are the ones that make up for the, the hellish parts, which are the majority. That is, you can try to survive those hellish parts for those moments of transcendence. And one for me, it's like one of the things it's like when you think of a sentence and it's like, wow, that's not bad. I actually just thought of that. That's super (laughs) cool. You know, it's like, wow, where did that come from? I mean, that doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it kind of makes up for the other 90, (laughs) 98%. We were talking about that last night. If you can monetize your flow. You've hit you've hit the mark, but it, great point. You also probably yeah. you run the risk of not enjoying flow at some point if you become bi- a business out of it, right? That's 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 actually another really really interesting point. I mean, I think that what you what you want to do is I, it's a great question. I mean, I haven't really thought about that. I I, I I I don't I don't think it it works that much. It's not not to be so Zen like about it, but I, I don't think it. it I think if you consciously try to monetize your flow, I think that you may end up inhibiting it. But I think that that monetization can be a consequence of the flow. That is, it's one of the, again, I don't want to sound like some kind of Zen master, but it's like the way to get it is to not pursue it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's something along those lines. Yeah. So we were talking about that along the same lines yesterday with, with mastery, you know, in the book, you, you talk about certain elements of intrinsic motivation, right? And Mm -hmm. and the first one being autonomy, mastery and purpose. And and you mentioned part of mastery is, you know, there's part, there's times of flow and to your point, same with your writing, there's times where it sucks and you have to really push through. How did you tie in purpose to mastery? Like how do those two play Hmm. together? It's another great question. I mean, I, I, it's something that I didn't do a very good job of in the book, um, which is looking at, uh, and that I wish I had, and so I'm glad you raised that question, is, is looking at kind of like the, the, the intersections of the three things. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I really wish I, and I thought about it, I thought about it some since. So, so if, I, if you take something like this, let's take, um, um, okay, let's say, let's say you have, let's say you have autonomy and mastery but you don't have purpose, right? Okay. That is something like, um, that's in some ways like a video game. Um, so if I have, um, uh, so there's a game that I play on my phone, okay? Um, it's a stupid game. Uh, I have two <laughs> stupid games. One of them, <laughs> I'm serious. One of them I deleted, one of them I still have. So there's this game, it's called Spelling Bee. Okay, it's just like a word, it's a, it's a word game. And, and I play whenever I want and I get better at it. And I probably have a glimpse of flow during the moments that I'm playing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also like a video golf game that I like to play that 
I ended up having just honestly deleting from my phone. Okay, let's take the video golf game because that's better. So I play this video golf game. I can play whenever I want. I have complete sovereignty over what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. Uh, each time I get better at it. Well, what's the point? You know, it's not achieving it. You know, so 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 they all work. They all they all kind of they all kind of work together. And so if you so 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 let's say that you so and I think that's a I think that's a way to look at it. So if you if you're achieving mastery on something. That's fine, but without purpose, it's not. It's not quite the same thing. It doesn't give you that. It doesn't give you that sense of. Um, it doesn't give you um, that they that they the the these these things are are, are reinforcing. So if I wanted to um, let's let's say let's take something like writing. Like, like I could write and try to be as good of a writer as I could. Um, but let's say I never showed it to anybody, or let's say that uh, I didn't really care about reaching audiences or anything like that. Then it would be this very self-contained thing. It'd be similar to a video game. It would it'd be like, well, what's the point? What, mm. What's what's the purpose of that? And the thing is, it's like it reinforces itself. So if I write something and say, well, I want this to actually matter in people's lives. I want people to read this. I want people to take time, think about this, and maybe do something different in their life. That actually increases my desire for mastery because if I'm if I have that kind of purpose in mind, it better be freaking good, right? You know, and so and, and so it's a it's a really really great point that I hadn't that I, I left. I, I it really didn't even occur to me until a couple of years after writing the book. Is it? You have to think of the, the, these things all work together. Um, yeah. And so if you have if you have something like let's say you have something like like mastery and um, let's say you have something like like uh, like like purpose and purpose and autonomy. Um, I mean that's in some ways what that's in some ways what this quarantine is in a way mm -hmm. um, in that what you're doing is like, like I can, I can quarantine however I want. Right. I can do whatever I want during the quarantine. I can wear whatever kind of mask I want to wear uh, and I'm doing it to help my fellow human being, but I'm not getting better at anything in this. That's why it's like a little bit of a drain, you know? So you really do need all three and we, we can't think of them as, um, you know, like sort of blocks that, pop on one another to me they're more like ingredients yeah, yeah ingredients ingredients yeah. is a great metaphor for that they're like that's perfect it's so they're like ingredients in a soup hey i had a quick a question about where i wasn't going to ask it because of time but we're uh, talking about autonomy like some companies that didn't want to go drive point three you know 3.0 they don't want to do it they're staying with this carrot and a stick now yeah. their employees a lot of them are at home can't go into work like this book should be flying off the shelves right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. As we talked yeah. about this yesterday, I coach yeah. a couple. I coach a, a rather large uh, group of uh, financial services people in a big, big company. And the company is everyone's at home. And yeah. they're, 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 they're practicing autonomy. You know, they're trying to connect these dots, you know, put the ingredients in to, to make that, that employee more productive, more happy. And interestingly enough, this could be a really, really interesting transformation for some corporations that figure it out. But this book is coming to this could be coming right off the shelves. It's right perfect now. timing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I hope I hope from, from your from your lips to the market's ears. But I, <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's a, I think it's an interesting I, I think that's I think that's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things um, w one of the ways to think about this or to understand it, especially something like autonomy, it's sometimes helpful to understand things by thinking about their opposite. Mm -hmm. And so with autonomy, the, the opposite of autonomy is control. Uh, and a lot of management techniques were, are, are very, very controlling. They're about they're about monitoring people um, uh, in, in many ways. And, and human beings, uh, I've said this before, human beings only have two reactions to control. They comply or they defy. And you don't want people to be compliant. 
I mean, you want people to be compliant in some sense. Mm-hmm. You want to follow certain kinds of rules. And in certain kinds of industries, compliance act, like certain kinds of, you know, uh, finan- uh, 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 you know, like uh, uh, financial services, there are literally compliance departments and so forth. But, mm-hmm. but, but if you're a boss, you don't want people to be 100% compliant and you don't want them to be defined either. You want them to be engaged. And the way that people engage is by getting their own, under their own, getting their under their own steam. And so I think that one of the things that this remote work has done is that it's loosened the control that bosses have. Mm-hmm. And amazingly, when you loosen that control, the world doesn't go to hell. Uh, people still do their work. Why do they still do their work? Cause they care cause they wanted to contribute to their teammates because they like getting better at stuff. You know, that's cool. And so, you know, and so, so what it might be is that bosses will say, "Oh, wait a second, maybe I can loosen control." And in that sense, for remote work, focus more on things like mastery. So, how do you achieve mastery? You got to have information on how you're doing. Hmm. So, so bosses could do better at giving feedback on how people are doing. And and to your earlier points about purpose, bosses can say, "All right, let's let's explain why we're doing this thing that we're doing." Right. Yeah, one of the the really cool things about reading this is it's a lot of, I mean, it's stuff having come from the corporate world to go down the sort of entrepreneurial path um, that I experienced, but it's like I never thought about it. It It's so interesting to have it quantified and put in front of Mm. you. It's like, yeah, I had no autonomy. I couldn't even use different colors on PowerPoint, right? (laughs) And it's like you understand how from a a creative standpoint, it's it's just... um, That's crazy. Yeah, it was was an interesting interesting thing. well, the engagement and disengagement uh, stats and data that, that you referenced oh, in your book, I don't think it's changed much. I, you know, people. No, no. Yeah, it could be worse. It's a, it's a, it's a remarkable story. The story of engagement, um, they're really story of disengagement, uh, really over twenty years in the U.S. Mm-hmm. workforce. Um, it, it's been it's been stagnant. You have, according to Gallup, you have, uh, you know, only one out of three people in the U.S. workforce are engaged in their job. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think about that for yeah. a second. Now, now, who knows? Maybe this, maybe COVID-19 ends up shaking things up a little bit. I don't know. Maybe, you know. Because yeah, um, fourth, a fourth of the country is out of work now. So that number very likely will go up. Right. People lost oh, their jobs. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that, uh, you know, c- companies use opportunities like this to make changes. Um, but, it, but it's, uh, I mean, getting someone motivated and connected with that intersection, I think, is a, you know, is a is a very honorable concept to share with companies right now. Yeah, the you Google know? case study is mind blowing. That you you have things like Gmail and Google News yeah. all coming from. Yeah. yeah. Although one of the things that's interesting about that is that they actually over the years have, have pulled back on that a little bit. So Google had twenty percent time, uh, and they actually pulled they pulled back on that. And there are a lot of companies out there that have said 20% of your time to do whatever you want might be too much. And so a lot of them are down to maybe 10 or 5%. That seems to be the sweet, that seems to be the sweet spot. And what's good about that is that again, for your, you know, for, for your coaching of these executives, it's like, that's totally doable, mm-hmm. totally doable. And I, I actually think that that's, that, that little Island of autonomy, um, you know, whatever the exact percentage is, is, is um, going to become the norm, uh, pretty soon it's hard to get people i mean they have their, their mobile devices with them now so they're you know they're they're drifting anyway you know if you give them autonomy and you go to a results only environment you can manage the results and you know they'll manage the time you know i, uh, I give you i mean i i'm i'm with you i'm with you on yeah. that i mean that just yeah and and that's a we'll see whether that 
I, I think that's I think that's slower to change. I mean, the mm-hmm. law firms that I talk to are just are so resistant to getting rid of the billable hour, which mm-hmm. I actually write about in Drive. Um, the billable hour is 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 soul crushing for people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just not an observation. There's some research on that question. Right. Um, it makes people, as you're saying, it makes people totally conscious of time rather than, you know, sort of focus centrally focused on time rather than focus on focus mm-hmm. on the work, first focus on the work itself. So the, all they care about is piling up numbers. It's a totally retrograde way of, of doing things, but there's a lot of risk aversion out there in big companies. So even some of their clients aren't pushing back hard on this. I mean, if I'm a client, like when I like when I engage, I mean, I, I have a I have a lawyer charging me by the hour. I think it's crazy, um, but 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 on that's because his firm does that. But on other folks whom I work with, I don't have anybody charging me by the hour. Mm-hmm. Like if you know, if you have a if you have a um, um, like if if I have somebody helping me out on a okay, so I'm doing I'm designing a survey right now, okay. So, so for some other, some survey research. So by people helping me design a survey, I just want great questions, reliable questions. Like if, it, if you come up with an, a killer question that's gonna give me new insights, it doesn't matter to me whether you spent four hours thinking about it or four minutes thinking right. about it. I mean, I'm, I'm not paying you for the input, I'm paying you for, to come up with these, to, to come up with these, come up with these great questions. Mm-hmm. And if you can, and you know, it, it, so if it takes you four minutes, I don't, to come up with an amazing question, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like, oh, wow, I, you know. Right, right. <laughs> uh, you deserve less money than the dude who took four hours. Maybe you actually deserve more because you're more efficient. Yeah, so speaking of incentives, this is one of the parts in the book that kind of ha- had me self-reflecting a little bit. When you're talking about the open source, um, you know, how like Wikipedia, for example, how it's dominated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people aren't getting paid to do that. And I started mm-hmm. thinking about how the world has changed to the extent now where, you know, the internet kind of leveled the playing field. Yeah. And so the reason I was thinking about it from my perspective is because I've done so much work for free um, to establish credibility. And ultimately, like I know down the road, there will be payoff. And mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was a great, like it, it had me thinking like it's a combination of flow and building for later. It's like a different kind of carrot and stick. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. And I just thought that was a unique thing. I'd, I'd love to get your, your take on that. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is, is that, um, I mean, I, I think that there are returns and I, I mean that there, there's, there's evidence on this. There are returns to generosity that, that, that being a generous person, uh, not only is it a good and noble thing to do that within limits, it's uh, over the long haul, it's an effective, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a, it's a productive thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, except that the thing is, is that you just don't, it's not, it's not quite, it's, um, it's more, um, hope than engineering. So it's not, it's not as if you say, Oh, I know exactly how this act of generosity is going to be returned to me one day. You don't, um, you just have to, you know, err on the side of generosity, uh, because it's, I think it's the right thing to do, uh, not be, um, you know, protect yourself from getting taken advantage of. Um, but also just not know, I mean, there are plenty of people whom I've helped who are never going to do a lift the finger for me. And that's, that's just part, that's just part of it. There are other people whom I've helped who have, who have then at, perhaps as a consequence or whatever, uh, helped me much, 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 much more than I ever helped them. Mm-hmm. So I think it just, 
it, you know, it, it's, um, it's karma. Hey, we have a few minutes left. I wanted to ask you a question. I bet you've gotten this before. Uh, I think this is in the, in the tools part of your book at the end. It says mm-hmm. your sentence, you know, like Lincoln's sentence that describes uh, his life. I love that. You know, he preserved the union and freed the slaves. I know. That's a good sentence. I can't match that. What's your, <laughs> what's your yeah. sentence? Uh, I've thought about this too. I have gotten that before. I don't, uh, is, um, uh, he, he, uh, and, and what I, uh, my, my working, my working answer is, uh, he wrote books that help people, uh, see their lives a little more clearly and live their lives a little more fully. Oh, wow. Uh, and so that's all that I'm, that's what I'm, and, and when I, when I, when I, when I think about that, I just, you think about what really matters to you. And, mm. and, 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 and also it goes back to your, our initial question. It's like, what do you do? What are you good at? And, and the older you get, the, the more, at least I, the more I realize how many things I'm not good at. Mm. Um, I mean, it's just like if you think about the universe of things to be good at, most of them I'm not good at, to put it mildly. And so you really, I think, have to focus on the things that you are good at. And one of the things that I happen to be reasonably good at is, um, I like to think, is, is making complicated stuff clearer. Mm-hmm. I'm making things that are murky a little bit more um, open and clear. And so that's what I, you know, so that's, that's what I focus on. So if I can help people, Hey, this is a crazy mm-hmm. world that's going on out there. Let me try to, let me sit in this little office where I am right now, try to make it a little clearer. And if we have a little more clarity, you can do, you can do one different thing in your life and maybe you and your family would be a little bit better off. That's cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Talked about also one last question quick, you know, it might not be a long answer. might be a short one. Uh, the encore career. You know, looking back at oh. 60, you and I are looking at 60 in a few years. Uh, you're my brother's age. I'm a couple years behind him. Do you have an encore career in your life? You know, looking back. Yeah, well, that's an interesting, it's an interesting, it's a very, very interesting question. Uh, so let's just explain what that is. So this is not my idea. This is an idea from um, uh, Mark Friedman. Um, mm. And the idea is, is that what we used to have is a career path that went sort of like this, which is, uh, so you, you had education, work, retirement. So three parts, education, work, retirement. And what Mark is saying, I've uh, done a lot of really good writing on this, um, uh, is, um, uh, is what we're going to have now is, is, is education, work, encore careers, and then retirement. So there'll be another stage and those, mm-hmm. that stage will be spent doing things that aren't your traditional work, but that are maybe a little bit, something you've always wanted to do something that's a little bit more public spirited. And so, um, so I haven't quite, I haven't quite figured that out. Um, I, you know, I am for better or worse, someone who doesn't plan to retire. Um, so, uh, but, um, but if we, you know, do the 30th anniversary, 30 year anniversary of this interview in <laughs> 2050, right. um, I think it's unlikely I'll still be doing the same thing, mm-hmm. but you never know. Yeah. That's awesome. That's cool. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, the entrepreneurs watching this can really learn from is that you kept experimenting, kept trying stuff. You know what I mean? You didn't pigeonhole yourself. That's, it's a really inspirational thing. A lot of people are scared to do that, you know? Um, so it's, it's a, it's a cool, uh, cool concept. I think it's, I, I think it's really important. Can I just say, just say one thing? Yeah, I think a lot of times, a lot of times we, a lot of times I think that, um, we, we tend to, uh, we, we, we plan too much and experiment too little. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are, there's a ceiling on well, how much you, there's a ceiling on how much you can, there's a ceiling on how much you can plan and have it be useful. And you just got to like, just got to try stuff. And there's so much stuff that I've tried. That's been a flop and you know, it's like, okay, great. That didn't work. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Check that one off. 
Um, uh, and, there's, and there is, again, I mean, this is not just kind of intuition. There's some, there's some very, uh, uh, there's a guy at Northeastern University, uh, uh, Laszlo Barbasi, who's done some research on this. And, and what he found looking at, uh, he, was, he was looking at, at artists and scientists. And what he found was that the people who were uh, most successful, that they had the most impact with their art, um, they had the most impact with their scientific discoveries. And the impact usually was not evenly distributed. So they would do like, you know, 10 works of art that no one cared about and one that was huge. Or they would write 38 papers that no one cared about and one that was, huge, you know. Um, and he said that the, the best predictor of when they were going to get that big one was how many they put out, that it was a game of quantity. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was basically, I, I don't know, um, it, like if you have... I don't know. There, there's no professional sports on right now in the no sports of any kind on in right now. But if you're a hockey fan, it's basically a lot of like accomplishing stuff is shots on goal. Mm, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a, it, like if you keep waiting for the perfect angle for the mm. perfect, just so much of this stuff is shots on goal and you just got to try stuff, take a shot. Hey, missed. Okay, great. And, and, shrug, and shrug that off. Um, so shots on goal matter. That's awesome. Here's to shots on goal. Yeah, I know you're not hard to find. Uh, four-time New York, four-time New York Times bestseller Daniel Pink. Uh, how do people get a hold of you or follow you? Uh, just go to my website uh, www.danpink.com. Uh, there's all kinds of free resources there, and uh, I've got a bi-weekly email newsletter, uh, free of charge, free of ads. Oh, all kinds of useful stuff in that. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you for uh, for your time and your insights, and for anyone who hasn't read this, strongly recommend it. Drive by Dan Pink. Uh, thanks for having me, and thanks for um, thanks for helping spread the word about about business books. Um, I think sometimes they get a bad rap, but they're you know a lot of them are really really uh, well researched. Really, a lot of them are really smart, well researched. And if you guys are picking up the gems and telling people about it, you're doing a great service. Thanks, Dan. Thank Appreciate you. Take care. <laughs>